Support for Market Foolery comes from Active Campaign. If you have a growing business and you want to acquire more customers, then you need Active Campaign. Their solution goes beyond marketing automation, getting the right type of message to the right person at the right time. For a free trial, go to activecampaign.com/fool. Okay, guys, let's get this party started. It is Wednesday, April 4th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we've got Motley Fool analyst Jason Moser and David Kretzman. Guys, welcome. Happy Howdy. Wednesday. Happy Wednesday to you. Are you feeling it? Are you excited? Absolutely. Always excited. I think I had like one and a half to two mini cups of coffee. So, so you're feeling good. You know? I'm feeling good. I think you may have to listen to this one at half speed every time I talk. <laughs> I used to say you go by cups. Like I, yeah. I go by the pot. Yeah. You know, I, at this point, which is. I knew better. Um, I knew better, and and I said, you know what, you're better than that. And yet, I kept drinking the coffee. California no cancer warnings be damned. There you're just you go. Caution <laughs> to the wind, aren't you? Okay, I am throwing caution <laughs> to the wind, and we're going to throw caution to the wind on this show. Later in the show, we're going to do some wild speculating about Warren Buffett and what his next buy might be, because there's a lot of speculation that it could be an airline. Um, Not to spoil too much. An airline mm-hmm. in the Southwest, but I don't want to spoil it. All right. Yeah. Um, we're also going to talk um, some Dave and Busters, and we'll talk about Amazon. But guys, let's begin with a potential trade war. In response to proposed tariffs by the Trump administration on software patents and other technology, China has proposed new tariffs on U.S. products, including cars, whiskey, and soybeans, which is the biggest U.S. export to China. Now, guys, this morning, I was really fired up about this story. In the pre-market, it was looking ugly. The market opened sharply down, but now the market has turned that frown upside down. (laughs) That didn't take long. It didn't take long, and and that may be related to a statement made by the President's economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, right before our taping today. Um, Kudlow told reporters that the market shouldn't overreact to trade measures, saying the market correction is mild and overdue. And Cudlow went on to say that the president is a free trader at heart. So, what does it all mean for investors? Well, there's a lot of back and forth going on between the U.S. and China. I think it's important to take a step back and recognize that these tariffs aren't going into effect right away. So, I think that the best way to look at it at this point is that these are really negotiating tactics from the the Trump administration and then, uh, on the other side of the table, China. Uh, In the case of the U.S. uh, proposed tariffs, companies have until May 22nd to review and probably object to the tariffs being put in place. And then, from there, the U.S. government would have 180 extra days to review whether or not they want to put those tariffs in place, and I think to what extent they would put them in place. So, really, worst-case scenario here, the tariffs would probably go into place in a couple months or even later this year, if they even go into place at all. But at this point, I look at it as negotiating tactics. I don't think the U.S. or China really wants these uh, tariffs to be put in place, I don't think either country would really benefit. So, Jason, it sounds like a better term might be a proposed trade war. Yeah, well, I mean, that's it, right? Nobody really wants a trade war. I, I think David's right. I think it's really uh, more or less a couple of strong-willed individuals just trying to lob up some strong negotiating tactics and uh, get the conversation started, at least. I, I think that the question we get when we see headlines like these is, how should I change my investing 
strategy? What should I do as an investor? How should I change or adjust? And and honestly, I mean, I think you know the best part about our investing style, which is as we always uh, talk about investing in businesses, focusing on on longer periods of time, taking things with a, with a grain of salt, and focusing on the bigger picture. The the best part about our investing style is when you run into these kinds of stretches. I mean, there's volatility, markets are down, and you think, whoa. But then go take a look at your portfolio, particularly look at the holdings that you've had in there for a long time. And by a long time, I mean three, four, five years, even longer. The nice part about our style of investing is that there's a good chance if you're investing in good businesses and you've held them for three, four, five years, even longer, that even in times like these, those positions are still doing really well. They're still typically going to be going to be rewarding your portfolio. So I think it's always nice to sort of take a step back. Take a look at your portfolio. Look at those companies that you've been holding on to for a long time, and then ask yourself: Do I really need to change what I'm doing? Because, in the long run, it seems to be working. Not you know these short-term sorts of moves, notwithstanding, and perhaps it's an opportunity to add a little bit to those positions that are doing so well. So, David. Pushing back on Jason's point a little Don't though, push if back on been, you are you sure. like, or Jason, I'm going to push back <laughs> on your point directly. So, if I'm a shareholder in a, in a company like Boeing, okay, Boeing last year agreed to sell 300 planes to China. Um, that's around 37 billion dollars worth of planes, and Boeing estimates that China could buy more than a trillion dollars of aircraft over the next 20 years. So that's that's not nothing. I'm gonna pull my Tim Cook okay. card. I, I would never be an investor in Boeing in the first place, Mac. How about that? Oh, what a dodge! Okay. He doesn't accept the premise of your question. Uh, Reject the premise. So, but if you are a Boeing shareholder, do you do you look at this story and do you look at a potential trade war and say, you know what, maybe I should get out? I I think it's premature to do that because obviously Boeing has a diversified business, isn't just selling to the U.S. or to China. So. And hopefully, you're not investing so much into Boeing that you're losing sleep at night over this proposed trade war. So, with our style of investing, as JMO was outlining there, if you have a diversified portfolio of quality businesses, they're not going to be all companies largely dependent on China for the bulk of their revenue. I think you can afford, in this case, to continue holding Boeing or a company like that that is a little bit more dependent on China for the long term. Because, like I mentioned earlier, I just don't see these tariffs being put into place, at least to the extent that I think both countries are kind of jockeying for at this point. Yeah, and I mean, to your point, I think that's a good one. I mean, there are Thank all you. companies are not created <laughs> equal, that. right? All markets and industries are not created equal. So, I mean, there are. Certain companies or industries that are going to be a bit more exposed to this than others, and I think one that we've seen a lot sort of discussed here recently: appliances and electronics. A lot of that stuff that's imported over here, chances are we have house house full of them. And um, you know, on the one hand, in theory, the price of of things like home appliances and electronics could go up. Uh, I also was thinking about this from the other side of that, though. It doesn't necessarily mean that a retailer has to pass on those costs, especially if that retailer is run by someone who takes a longer sort of outlook and is focused more on being, you know, the Earth's most customer-centric company, for example. <laughs> Jeff Bezos and Amazon, <laughs> but I mean there are there are examples of retailers out there that will forego that short term profitability in order to build up that loyal customer base, and they would view things like this as a bit more temporary in nature. So this is just kind of another way to look at it. Yeah, I would say at the end of the day, you don't 
I, I would be nervous about letting macro events drive your investing decisions one way or another. Uh, our former Fool colleague Morgan Housel, he, he had an article looking back at previous administrations. You know, uh, the Bush administration, the Bush Jr. administration was supposed to be good for airlines and energy. Those turned out to, <laughs> those industries performed terribly under his tenure as president. Obama was supposed to be great for clean energy, and that that industry by and large really performed poorly from an investing perspective. So. You really, uh, yeah. For for me, it, it just comes down to don't let those macro decisions drive your investing decisions. At the fool, we tend to be bottom up investors. Focus on finding great quality businesses that you think have good odds to perform well over the next five years or beyond, regardless of which administration or political party has power at that given time. And it sounds like you're both saying this could end up being more of a trade kerfuffle, right? Not a trade war. I, I would lean more toward that kerfuffle. Yeah. Kerfuffle, I like it. Yeah, Can we all say that together? Kerfuffle? Kerfuffle. Thank you. Okay, so let's move on. Jason, you mentioned Amazon. President Trump continuing his war on Amazon. On Tuesday, Trump tweeted that Amazon is costing the United States Post Office massive amounts of money for being their, quote, delivery boy. So I want to set the table with some not so fun <laughs> facts here. Okay, you ready? The U.S. Postal Service has lost money for 11 straight years. Um, they have significant pension and health care costs. Around two-thirds of Amazon packages pass through the U.S. Postal Service So at some point, so that's a lot. Now, Amazon's network of warehouses is so extensive now that it pays sales tax in every state that has a sales tax. But Amazon also facilitates third-party sales, and those third-party companies do not need to pay sales taxes in states where they don't have a physical presence. And finally, the Postal Service has a monopoly on regular mail delivery, as we all know. And you may have noticed that's a declining business. Even with the monopoly status. There you go. <laughs> so, what do you think about President Trump's war on Amazon? I think we're all, are we all Amazon shareholders here? Uh, yep. Yes, I am. How does that, what does that mean for you? Well, yeah, I'll kick it off here. I think in this case, the USPS needs Amazon more than Amazon needs the USPS. And the president's claims that Amazon is hurting the USPS, I don't know if there's actually a whole lot of facts behind that to back it up, because in a way, it's that parcel and package delivery business that's actually been a growth driver for USPS. And that's driven, of course, by Amazon and then just the plethora of e commerce activity that we're seeing. So that's something I would need to look into more. But at this Point, like like you mentioned, Mac, what used to be the USPS's bread and butter, first class mail delivery, that's been a declining business for a long time now. But that that package and parcel business with Amazon and others is where the growth has been. So, I think if USPS had to renegotiate its rates with Amazon, Amazon can go to FedEx or DHL or UPS. Amazon is already testing out its own delivery service in LA. I suspect that's something that the company will roll out nationwide as they start to get that under their belt more. So. Yeah, for me, it comes down to USPS needs Amazon more than the other way around. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, it's not like the USPS's business just went to crap overnight. I mean, it's bad. It's been bad for a long time. And I mean, like I, you know, I always kind of take heart. You've been crappy for a while. <laughs> I mean, my my entire life is like a Seinfeld episode. So that's kind of how I relate to things via Seinfeld. And I mean, I can always just go back to that episode where Kramer tries to have the post office just stop sending him mail, and like you know. It, Newman takes over and like his bosses just go crazy. So I mean there there is an interesting sort of situation here with the USPS because it does seem like 
when I get my mail every day, it is it is it goes from the mailbox to the trash can. Like none of I could do without it. Um, I also find it very interesting that he was not targeting FedEx and or UPS in this process, uh, and perhaps that is because they don't necessarily have the ties to the government the USPS does. But Amazon has a lot of stuff that flows through the UPS uh, services and in FedEx services as well. Um, and it's not like Amazon is not paying for stuff to be shipped. I mean, if you look at as a percentage of net sales, fulfillment was 12.5% of uh, net sales in 2015, 13% in 2016, and 14.2% in 2017. Now, also keep in mind that throughout this entire stretch, Amazon Web Services has become a bigger part of Amazon's business as well. So, this is all just to say that Amazon is paying, and this is a technical norm, a buttload in shipping and fulfillment costs <laughs> every year. It's not like the USPS is getting short-ended here. I mean, so, they're not getting a free ride. No, they're not getting a free ride. And I can't help but feel like this is maybe a bit of a personal vendetta. I think there's probably some questions Jeff there with Bezos, Bezos owns owns the Washington, Washington Post. Post. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, I just think there's a little bit more here than than, than meets the eye. I, I consider it a non-issue. I, I think it's like kind of a soap opera, more or less, little sort of sideshow that that is just going to probably fade into the back background pretty quickly. I mean, it'd be one thing if like Amazon's services and what they're doing wasn't benefiting customers, but people love Amazon. I mean, it it, it is. Customers are winning from using Amazon. It it makes makes things better for us. It's bringing down costs. It's it's giving us more time. Um, it'd be different if Amazon was like a, a blight on society, but it's not. Okay, guys. Well, let's talk some Dave and Buster's. Um, Dave and Buster's down big on earnings. Guys, same store sales down almost seven percent. That seems bad, <laughs> uh, and investors not too happy about the company's outlook for the full year. Yeah, this was a, a really rough quarter, and it's especially rough because for the, uh, the the fourth quarter of 2017 was actually the best quarter for restaurants in the U.S. in, in over two years. Uh, so Dave and Buster's their uh, their fourth quarter results in this case actually got progressively worse through the quarter. So it's okay. Their same store sales were okay in November, got worse in December, and got even worse in January. At the same time, where restaurants as a whole over that same period were actually improving their results. So, a little bit baffling here. And just reading through the conference call, management seems so scatterbrained right now. They're like, okay, we need to improve our food. We need to improve our uh, speed and you know delivery of the food. Uh, we need to improve our amusements. Uh, and at the same time, we're going to continue opening new stores. So, Right now, I think they were clearly caught off guard here. They missed their expectations. They're now expecting same-store sales to decline for this upcoming fiscal year. So, a rough situation. Last year, I'd seen Dave & Buster's, their numbers, as far as same-store sales and revenue and earnings growth, had actually been a lot better compared to a lot of other restaurants, which were struggling, as we all know. But this is really puzzling to me, that people just aren't going to the stores as much as they were a year ago, and I don't think management knows why. And their strategy to turn that around isn't all that compelling to me. One thing that they mentioned, as far as the amusements go, which makes up about 55% of their business, those games and amusements, they're rolling out a couple virtual reality games this year. And I'm thinking, who would go to a Dave & Buster's <laughs> to put on a VR headset, which just totally takes the social aspect out of the experience? So, if you're banking your turnaround hopes 
on two VR games this year. Ah, that that's a head scratcher. So I'll count you as skeptical. <laughs> I'm skeptical. And another thing too is over the past year they've actually increased their debt load by over 100 million dollars. So this is a company now sitting on over 330 million dollars in debt. People aren't going to the stores like they were. Management doesn't really know why. And at the same time, they're opening new stores. So, uh, I mean, a year Tell ago, me more. <laughs> is the debt to open those stores? What are they doing with that debt? That's seems... yeah, mainly to to open new stores. And when they went public a couple years ago, they already had a, a hefty debt load. So, if if I was management now, I would slow down the new store openings, really focus on improving performance of your existing stores, pay down that debt load because if if you're putting up negative six percent. Comps when the economy is doing pretty well, restaurants as a whole are doing pretty well. Next time a recession comes along, that's going to get way uglier. Yeah, it feels like I mean, with I'm just I've never been to Dave and Buster's, so I don't really know much about it. It sounds kind of like a glorified. It sounds like a Chuck E. Cheese for adults, though. Kind of. I think that's fair. I think that's Um, fair. But you can drop a lot of cash in a hurry. (laughs) I I, I almost think of it as more of a casino. But casinos have not been. But to your point there, and that's just it. It's like with Dave and Buster's. I mean, I think about half their revenue is tied to the actual games and entertainment stores. And so we always talk about with restaurants, the key is traffic. I mean, you've got a lot of fixed costs. In keeping the restaurant open and staffed, so the more traffic you bring in, the more profitability. So, so traffic is the key, and, and it seems to me that with Dave and Buster's, that would be doubly so because you've got a concept that's not just dependent on the food, but it's dependent on the games as well. And I, I don't know that Dave and Buster's is necessarily known for for slinging a bunch of really good food either. So, I, to me, yeah, I mean, the, the debt load seems to kind of be the icing on the cake there, as to, as to why. Why would you invest in a company like this that doesn't seem like it's being managed very well? Yeah, I I think the actual concept is appealing in a lot of ways because you're not overly exposed to food and beverage trends, but and you also have that high margin revenue coming from the games and amusements. But in this case, I just I really struggle to see where management is going with this because it would be one thing if they acknowledged, yeah, we had a bad quarter. Here are some ideas why. But at this point, it really seems like a shotgun approach. You can't just say, oh, we're going to improve everything and hope that that. You know, leads to more people coming back. Uh, it can't be. <laughs> it can't be everything that you need to improve. Focus. Focus on yeah. something. So it seems like at this point they're doing a lot of things in a mediocre way, and they're just going to double down on that strategy. At the same time that they're opening new stores, and when you have that level of debt, if you're a restaurant or a retailer, that just really takes away your flexibility when times actually do get tough on a macro level. So that's uh, why I'm a little more cautious today. The stock is trading at a pretty Reasonable multiple, so it does have that going for it. But 15 times earnings, I think they're. If you're interested in restaurants, they're better operated restaurants than Dave and Buster's right now. Well, guys, before we talk about our final story, I want to mention that support for Market Foolery comes from Active Campaign. If you have a growing business and you want to close more sales, then you need Active Campaign. Their solution goes beyond marketing automation, getting the right type of message to the right person at the right time. Stop sending blast emails. With their smart tools, you can dynamically show different content in your messages depending on your contacts info, interactions, social data, and interest. Identify, nurture, convert, and retain more customers with ActiveCampaign. For a free 14-day trial, go to activecampaign.com fool. Also, for our Fool podcast listeners, they're offering the second month free with sign up. Yes, the second month is free. That's activecampaign.com slash fool. And guys, for our final story here, I want to do some speculating. And it's it's a bit reckless, it's a bit wild, but it is grounded in a story about Warren Buffett. Um, and, grounded. And, and, and what has come out. 
Yeah, and, and that's grounded. Nice. Grounded is appropriate because it's about an airline here. Southwest Airlines CEO Gary Kelly has come out and said that he has not talked with Warren Buffett about a possible sale. And this comes after Buffett sparked speculation with a comment that he wouldn't rule out owning an entire airline. And oh yeah, I should probably mention that Berkshire owns around 8% of Southwest Airlines, and Berkshire has around $116 billion in cash. So, is Buffett going to buy Southwest? And if not, where's he going with that? Well, if he was going to buy an airline, I would hope it would be Southwest, since Berkshire tends to have a hands-off approach. They could continue to let Southwest be awesome, and it takes away the the likelihood of someone else, you know, an activist investor coming in and say, "Oh, if you just uh, take away some of those perks, you know, you'll uh, rate raise your margins." So, uh, as as far as airlines right now that I want their business model and just their practices to be preserved, I would love Southwest to uh, uh, continue to to have that kind of flexibility and maybe operating under Berkshire is. Uh, a nice way to, to do that while still having some independence over over the culture, which has just been um, a huge contributor to their success. Yeah, I'll, I'll go in a little bit of a different direction here. I think this is going to be potentially an easier one for Berkshire to swallow. And I, I've, I've for all of my life just sworn no loyalty to any airline whatsoever, just because I never really cared. I mean, just give me a reasonably price ticket and just give no me there Delta, safely. No Delta, given your Atlanta roots, and, and just, you, know, you don't whatever. feel whatever. It's just like I just go to Priceline, buy a ticket, and just give me there. You know what I mean? Um, Pretty sentimental there. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> sentimental guy, <laughs> old and grumpy. Uh, but you know, we were in the Bahamas last week, and so on the way back, quit bragging. Well, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Let me let me give you my mango banana <laughs> analogy. Um, so we were on the way back, and uh, you know we just worked at our airfare, so we flew different airlines here and there. But but JetBlue was was the airline that we flew back. Now I think this may have been the first time I ever have ever flown JetBlue. But I was I was thoroughly impressed not only with the customer service that we received from. Them in the airports, but also with the planes. I mean, like the seats—they're big. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was really amazed by. It. And from what I could gather, we we were on two different planes, two different size planes. It doesn't appear that they have first class either. Hmm. So it's it. From what I could gather, it just seemed like it's just one class. Make the plane a little bit yep. bigger for everybody. Yep. And I, I was just—I I was impressed. You, know, I, I left that thinking, you know, and I bet David Gardner would like this because I think JetBlue is in, in his universe and stock advisor. Yes. I, I, this is the one airline where I thought, you know, I would actually make. Make an effort to fly them again because it was such an enjoyable, comfortable trip on the way home. In in comparing it to to the trip going there, it, there was a noticeable difference. So, uh, JetBlue considerably smaller than Southwest. I mean, it's only about a six and a half billion dollar market cap company today. Hey, why not just buy both? Yeah, Southwest like sure. and JetBlue, and then you really just corner the market on good airlines. They're comfy. You know, you just no frills. Getting people back and forth, you could probably build up some pretty good loyalty there. I bet. So I need to know if I need to give up my dream of Warren Buffett buying Costco. Costco has a market cap of around eighty-one billion. And, and let me let me mention, as you may know, Charlie Munger is on Costco's board. So it's not completely crazy talk, but that's a pretty hefty price tag. Yeah, that would be a, a large pill to to swallow. Because what's the the biggest acquisition Berkshire has made? I think is around forty. Billion? So the Burlington Northern. Uh, no, it's like the the cast parts. Forget the oh, yeah, oh yeah, precision precision cast parts. Yeah, I think that was around forty billion. So eighty billion or higher. That's uh, that's a big. I, I wouldn't bet on it. Coke. Yeah. Okay. Campbell Soup, thirteen billion. I stand by McCormick. I mean, I just stand by McCormick. I mean, I've said this ever since I started working here. I mean, I just 
And, and you know, like this is the kind of nerd I am. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna go back to the Bahamas again, Mac, because this was it. my wife is even looking at the pictures I took when we were in there. She's like, Jason. Why do you have a picture of the spice rack from the grocery store? And and I'm thinking, that is you know a, what? that sounds like a cry I, I, for help. I was in the bomb, I was in the grocery store, this local local grocery store, looking at this spice rack, and I'm thinking, okay, there's a bunch of McCormick stuff, and then there's some other generic brands or local brands, and I'm taking a picture so I don't forget the names of them because when I get home, I want to look them up and start researching to see what names McCormick is responsible for on that spice rack. So. I think McCormick would still be a cool acquisition for them to make, particularly after the the RB Foods deal that brings French's mustard and Frank's Red Hot Sauce under their umbrella. Man, I just McCormick is a Berkshire company through and through. I will confess that I I don't know if I heard any of that last part because <laughs> I can't stop thinking about you taking a picture of a spice rack and just like someone in the front of the store feeling the need to like yeah. call authorities. Yeah, I'm I mean sure. it's a little it's it's it is a little. I, weird. I don't want to say creepy. <laughs> But it's it's not it's not usual. I can't no, turn my mind unique. off. It's unique. Yeah. It's not ordinary behavior. I I just I mean it's not. I'm a, hardwired a certain way, man. It's not against the law. <laughs> I can't get past it. Okay, well, <laughs> I mean it may, and I'm the cook of the house, and so maybe that has something to do with it. Okay, I mean, I wish I could good. at least play that angle. I think that's the, good. I would lead with that. I would lead with that next okay. time. I'm the cook of the house, and I took a picture of a spice rack. <laughs> Otherwise, it, it feels like a cry for help. Well, here, here's a contrarian thought for Berkshire. I, I think they need some more restaurants in their portfolio to complement Dairy Queen. Like, why not? Mm. A lot of restaurants are cheap right now. I don't nice. know if you nice. go after Domino's, which is Chick-fil-A. basically printing money. Chick Fil A. Nice. There yeah. you go. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, why not branch out that restaurant portfolio? A lot of cheap concepts out there right but, now. That, but not Dave and Buster's. Not Dave and Buster's. <laughs> not at all. Anything but Dave and Buster's, you'll have a better bet. Okay, I suspect I know where you're going with this one. But my desert island question: You're on a desert island. You can only own one of these stocks for the next five years. We got Dave and Buster's. We've got Amazon, or we've got Berkshire. Where are you going? Oof. From here, I think I'll actually go. I'll go with Berkshire. Why not? Yeah, I'm. I'm just Amazon through and through. I just, I mean, to me, there's just such a big market opportunity in so many different ways. I just, big fan of the business and uh, intend on owning those shares for a very long time to come. Okay, guys. Well, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Thank Matt. You. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.